you. What about this one for my nephew? A superb choice. Oh, great. Yeah, provided he has already read Infinite Crisis and 52 and is familiar with the reestablishment of the DC multiverse. Who am I? Cypher? The gayest X-Man? I recently read this novel called Watchmen. I've never read a comic book like this. I used to read Betty comics, but that's it. I've never read, like, real, real comic books. This worked my out. Excellent! Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. And this week, once again, we are reading some of Chris's favorite erotica. So I will let you lead us in. Dinosaur Sanctuary number three. Uh, we are recording this on my birthday, and for my birthday, I got to do an episode on Dinosaur Sanctuary. Oh, yeah. Happy actual birthday. Thank you. Perfect timing, I thought. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess we should just dive right in. Uh, if you want to know what it's all about, go listen to our last two episodes and also buy and read the series, please. I would like them to keep making it. Yeah, it's a dinosaur zoo. That's the gist of it. There's going to be more cute dinosaurs. Imagine a competently run Jurassic Park. Yeah. This volume is special because it opens with a brochure for the park, which was a nice surprise. You got a full color uh, park guide and map folded up. It's uh, three pages folded up, so six pages sort of total. Uh, you've got a full, like, three-page spread map of the park, which is very different from the map from Volume 1, but, uh, I prefer this map. It feels a little bit more, like, believable in terms of the amount of animals present for the size of, like, the island and park that we've been told. It feels like they've probably put a bit more thought into it since... The original was probably sort of a early mock-up idea, and now that the series has kept going on as long as it has, you know, there's probably just been more thought put into it of like, oh, maybe we'll actually get around to all of these. Yeah, and and they've um, there's nothing like there's nothing in that. Uh, sorry, rephrase that. Uh, there's no animals on this that I. I think aside from the pterosaurs and the uh, Futabarosaurus, uh, the plesiosaur that they have here, I think all of this is stuff that we've glimpsed at least a little bit in the series. Maybe one or two others. I don't know if we've seen the Sidipati or the House Coraptor on panel yet. Not sure. But another benefit of this is since it's in color and the map has illustrations of all the animals, we now have definitive color scales schemes for the dinosaur sanctuary versions of these animals uh our favorite animal at the park Masaru the triceratops is green which is nice to discover they all look cute yeah. i was gonna say the only animal we'd had in a color page before now was tyrannosaurus but the tyrannosaurus got redesigned heading into like the actual full appearance of it because they uh they refought it and they made it a bit more accurate which was very nice and i really like they did that yeah in terms of like actual physical book production we haven't got a sort of like 
folded pull out like this before. So it's a nice new something special and feels especially appropriate for the whole brochure aspect of it all. Yeah, it's a great little bonus. It's really going to help me because I'm definitely going to, when it needs to be a little bit more done than it is, but when Prehistoric Kingdom is just a bit more finished, I'm going to be recreating this park in that video game. And then I, yeah, this is, this is, uh, and unlike the last map, this is one that I think I could actually manage to make. But uh, yeah, let's just sort of dive in, really. Uh, we didn't leave off on any cliffhangers last time like we did uh, heading into, uh, well, heading out of Volume 1 and into Volume 2. Uh, aside from the new premise, which is that Suzu Suzume is going to be training with different groups of animals around the island under each different department head before they settle her down into a specific department, which is a neat idea to see like where people are best suited when they're new. So I think that was a good plan. Yeah, and structurally, it works well too now that we've got a good sense of our couple main characters. It feels like a good time to go ahead and fully flesh out the rest of the cast while also moving around and seeing more dinosaurs that we haven't focused on yet. Yeah, because the only animals that receive major focus in the first two volumes were uh, ceratopsians and theropods. So we haven't seen like any other uh, ornithischians, uh, especially. I feel like we've been missing out on. And we get a couple this volume, which is nice. But the first part of the new story is essentially they're having like a meeting of all the department heads and also Suzu Suzume um, discussing like plans head because heading out of summer uh, they're gonna have like off days so this is when they need to plan what they're gonna use those days where the park is closed for in terms of like major shifts or renovations as well as discussing like plans on getting more people in because they're still like every year having less visitors. So there's some finagling that's planned with the Stegosaurus and some of the Centroceratops. Uh, they talk about the three, we, they were in the last volume, the little story about the, um, the kid who wants to date this girl, but he's worried because this is other guy who she might be interested in, but yeah, of course she's not, uh, that neither of us were a particularly big fan of, but, like it was good getting the visitor point of view at the park. The Centrosauruses are the ones from that story. So we're following up on what's been going on with them ever since it. the female sort of decided which one she wanted to mate with. And so they're going to move the lone male out of the larger habitat and put him by himself in the habitat that Stegosaurus used to be in. And they're going to move Stegosaurus down in to the other habitat i like that we're suddenly dealing with like the series has always been about like the characters caring for the animals but this sort of like larger scale sort of zoo dynamics figuring out what habitats and where to keep the different animals it's pretty cool it feels more like an overarching sense of the zoo as a whole than we've got in most of the story thus far because they're like talking about where they're going to go in terms of 
like these dinosaurs in this area of the park, this grouping and this exhibition, it's sort of is partially them talking about like what animals make sense to live together. So we get to kind of think of the park as a bit of a artificial ecosystem as opposed to just here's the dinosaur of the week and just kind of thinking about one at a time. Yeah, exactly. I like that we're getting the sort of larger view of the zoo as well. Uh, now that our characters are a bit more involved in running the place, because um, pretty inevitably, and like certainly they should have done this like a while ago, Susan Suzume gets put in charge of the park's social media, which, duh, that's like ever since the um, Masaru story, she's clearly quite skilled at getting people engaged. And is definitely going to be better at using social media than the old guy who's in charge of the park, who is apparently who'd been doing it previously. If there's anything you and I both know, it's how cringe-worthy the older people at work can be at managing business social media. Yes. Yes, exactly. I can't imagine the Dinosaur Park has even had much of an online presence before, but, like, Suzume designed the excellent, like, horn exhibit for Masaru. And they really should have her on that more than having her as a keeper. She should be on, like, exhibit design. Because <laughs> she's clearly actually good at it. Certainly in-universe, and I would say just, like, out of it. Like, that's the best exhibit we've seen in the zoo so far. Almost all the other times we see the animals, there's just, like, a view of them and some signs just saying, oh, this is what this is. A lot of her talking and the meeting is in that same vein of, like public relations aspect of setting up exhibits and trying to just like garner interest yeah she proposes live streaming the animals like on uh social media and stuff like that which is like it's another pretty good idea because it's a good uh, as she points out like that t-rex is extremely old uh we had a part about her in the last volume and like she's not on display very much because she's just too old to like go out and do stuff so the idea of okay well here's another way you can see this animal is a good idea the other sort of important note from this first little section that i really want to bring up is um the satakasaurus who are my favorite dinosaur species apparently just started their mating cycle and i am absolutely dying for a whole segment, I want a two-parter about the Sakakasaurus mating cycle in this book and how the zoo manages these fucking things. Because based on the amount that what we know about them, which like the thing about Sakakasaurus, if we if we found so many and in such good condition that we know basically everything about what this animal looked like. Uh it is there's reconstructions of it that like are the most accurate. Because every single thing we have evidence for. We know the color. We know the skin texture. We know how the color was arranged on the body. And part of that is, and unfortunately, they don't have this quite right here, but I'm hoping that we'll see it. So, Sakakasaurus looks kind of like a lizard parrot, but then it's got the sort of colors of a deer where it's a brownish, reddish brown. Uh, which is darker on top and then lighter on the bottom, uh, which is called counter shading, which is a thing that a lot of animals use 
Uh, it's excellent camouflage for animals in like lower light environments. So like when a deer thinks it's being hunted, it's gonna like lay down on the grass, and the way that its body is shaded makes it so that it actually blends in better and makes it harder to see for predators. And we know that Sitakosaurus lived in a heavily wooded area and so presumably had the similar strategy. Well, the interesting thing is, again, Sitakosaurus is so well-preserved, it is the only animal where we have found its genitalia, the only dinosaur whose genitalia we actually have found. We know that they had cloaca, which is something we see on display on all of these animals throughout this book. We've talked about this before in previous episodes. And Sitakosaurus's cloaca despite being on the lower half of the body, where normally it's lighter colored, they're darkly colored. So they're colored in contrast to the like rest of the body around it, which combined with the tail fan that they had seems to indicate that they use their cloaca as part of their mating displays. Because the tail fan that they have was definitely for display. There's no other like practical application of just having a bunch of very long uh, feathers sticking out of the end of your tail when the rest of your body isn't feathered. And so you can just imagine them all hanging out in the like early Cretaceous forests of China, sticking their little darkly colored butts up in the air and waggling them. <laughs> Do they get much taller? Is it just babies we see here? Because the shots we get here, they're also very size. short. Those are adults. They're very cute. Oh, I love them. It's it's my favorite species easily just because they are... Hey, we know so much about them and it's really cool, but it's like, oh yeah, we know the color. You know, we know we know the skin texture. We know everything. There's a model in a museum somewhere, I can't remember the, the, which museum it's in right now, that was commissioned after they found the one that was literally just mummified. Because they're like, oh, we know where all the muscles are now. Like, we've got bones that are preserved so well that we have, we can see where all the muscles attached onto this bone. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I As I said, I, I just, it's so funny to me. They're also going to be, like, letting them roam the park. So uh, presumably the series has decided that Satakasaurus is not likely to nip guests. I love a roaming animal at a zoo. I don't think I've ever gotten to see a roaming animal at a zoo before. But yeah, Satakasaurus is probably as good as anything to have roaming the park. Um, out of all the dinosaurs. Because they were small, they were herbivorous. You know, the counter shading implies that they didn't have like they weren't defensive they were like the sort of animal that would try and like make itself not be discovered when it's being hunted rather than the kind of animal that would fight back so yeah that is probably the safest animal to have around guests and they're really cute uh moving forward we get another treat with this volume where we get another couple color pages for the start of the next chunk which is very nice to see. It's only three pages, but like, I'm just, you know, I'm glad that they're printing what I'm assuming this is the only other stuff that's been colored at all in the series, aside from those first few pages in the first one. So I'm glad that these uh, printings that they're doing over here in America are like making a point of whenever there are color pages, keeping them. 
Because yeah. this isn't even at the front of the book with the brochure. Yeah, so the way color pages generally work in manga is that, you know, obviously most of the time, the majority of stuff is in black and white. And because most manga runs in magazines, you know, serialized format, essentially what magazines will do is generally have just like a select amount of color pages per issue to have, you know, still be the black and white primary cost down all of that, but then have an assortment of like a little bit of pop of color to, you know, draw the eye in. So for example, like in weekly Shonen Jump, you're looking at probably like 20 comics per issue and say maybe like six of them will have a couple pages of color at the front of each chapter. So they're sort of interspersed throughout. And those sorts of things are often given to like the series that are most popular or celebrating anniversaries or just like editorial push. You know, and they tend to vary it up a bit by issue. You know, you're not generally going to see the same series get the color page every single issue. They tend to, like, vary it up a bit. And the fact that the English edition is preserving any of these at all is honestly better than a lot of localized manga gets. Because a lot of time they'll just run the color pages in black and white and not even bother so. It's nice to see the artwork preserved closer to the original like this, because a lot of reprinting doesn't do that. Well, props to Seven Seas, then. Uh, I will say, I think this volume, in terms of the presentation, is the best, because we've gotten this brochure, we've gotten these color pages, and I take it that means that color pages being here is probably a good sign for the series overall. Yeah. Generally, if a series is floundering, at least in Jump, I can't speak to every magazine out there, but as far as I can tell, yeah, color pages are generally a good sign, at least that editorial hasn't given up on a book. Excellent. Well, we know there's a volume four coming at the very least, and hopefully many, many more. As always, every time we cover this, I'm like, hmm, yes, I would like to still be reading this when I'm 85, please. We're heading into the story. So, Suzume is now working with Igarashi Kesuki, who, I'm getting that right, right? At least close enough. It's sounds right to me. It's at least, okay. I don't think it's offensively wrong. It sounds right. Yeah, I'm like, I think it would be Kesuke, based on the spelling there. Igarashi is fairly simple to work out, but uh, who is in, well, Igarashi is in charge of the Pachycephalosaurs and the Stegosaurs in the park. Uh, so he is overseeing, let me see, two species? I think that's everything. Is he overseeing the Ankylosaurs? Oh, no, just Stegosaurs and Pachycephalosaurs. All right, so he's only, so he's overseeing Stegosaurus and Pachycephalosaurus, the uh, only two in the park. So... They've been having problems with the Pachycephalosaurus Hatchy. For the visual here, 
go watch Jurassic Park The Lost World, the dinosaur that rams the big jeep and makes it go flying in one scene. That's Pachycephalosaurus. They're the ones with the big domed heads. His full name is Hachibe, Hachi for short, and that is one hell of a head ornament. Oh, I love these things. So, um, for a long time that they thought that these animals would line up their heads with their necks and charge at each other like rams, and then they started looking at the bones more closely and started saying, oh, probably not, because the skull isn't thick enough or tough enough to imply that they could actually survive doing this on a regular basis. It doesn't make any sense for the species to do that. And so it probably is just like a very odd display ornament. And then a little bit later, they kept looking at it and they have found injuries consistent uh, in the skulls with doing that sort of thing. And like working at the physics of it, basically when they ram their heads against each other, which they're not like charging from the other side of the room. It's more like headbutts in a closer space as part of these dominance displays. Probably for mating. Um, because the head is round, the surface area is sort of whacking up against the rest of the head is smaller, so it's actually reducing the level of impact. Which is why they're still going to do it despite like just being on the skull and not, for example, on a ram. It's got the horns and they're far enough away from the head but you're not winding up with brain injuries. But uh, Hachi has basically been slipping and falling and hurting himself. Yeah, he has some... He's been getting roughed up a little bit fairly frequently, and he is also... This is, you know, attributing psychology to an animal, but also... Animals have thoughts and feelings, you know, and sometimes it's just fucking obvious. And he is dealing with the passing of his mates within the last year in story as well. Yeah, shortly before Suma uh, Suzume came to work at the park, the uh, other Pachycephalosaur died, presumably of just like age or disease, like natural causes. As part of this, we're reintroduced to uh, Shirinui Ren, who in the first volume is the vet who is extremely competent at his job and really cares about the dinosaurs but is also an absolute dick he's just an ass yeah he's an asshole um he's especially uh last volume he was especially cool to suma suzume because basically she hadn't picked up on like you know this person with no real experience prior to this job like this is her first job working with dinosaurs. She hadn't picked up on a shift in behavior of a Dilophosaurus uh, due to his illness. And like he got pissed at her instead of at the experienced guy who was in charge of the whole theropod area for not noticing this. So uh, Suma Suzume is clearly like very anxious and she is very obviously trying to not interact with him. Meanwhile so you're less familiar with dinosaurs than I am. When you looked at Hatchie, when you look at a Pachycephalosaurus, do you feel the need to make bald jokes? I sure don't. I assume they included that largely for like the character reaction scenes of just sort of 
working in how employees can like work the crowd, you know, and sort of direct audience conversations back into like education and therefore engagement like the dinosaurs do you know look quote unquote weird compared to animals we're used to looking at but i would not look at this thing and go haha bald no yeah everyone looks at him it's just like oh my god it's heisenberg or um kevin from the office there we go between Breaking Bad and The Office, everyone should get one of those references. So yeah, there's these two like teenagers who are, I mean, they're taking loads of pictures of him that they're presumably going to post online and stuff. So like, this is good for the park, but they have the funny bald dinosaur. But Suma is actually like, kind of annoyed, which again is pretty funny. I'm just like, I, okay, it's very cheesy. And it's cheesy in the way the series sometimes is. So like, I don't dislike it, but I am just sort of like, okay, guys. But then we get this bit where um, Igarashi is very good at, at like bringing in the educational aspects of the zoo. They have they have some skulls, presumably. I mean, this uh, maybe they're replicas, but they could also be real ones because it's not like there's a shortage of them in this world where dinosaurs have been like known since the 1940s. But they have some skulls of of Pachycephalosaurus. Uh, he uses to illustrate how the animal changed over time when it grew. I will say one weird thing about this, and this is a note I kind of have for the series overall, as much as I love it, it does sometimes forget that this is a world where dinosaurs are real, and therefore when people are talking about dinosaurs, they like aren't talking about theories or ideas, they're talking about things that they know, because in this world, dinosaurs are like over there, you can spend 2,000 yen and go and look at some. Yeah, it's... I don't remember the exact dates from Volume 1 of, like, how long ago they were discovered, but it's definitely been long enough and created enough of a industry, quote-unquote, that, to some degree, I guess the shock of it has definitely worn off. And so he talks about how Pachycephalosaurus, Dracorex, and Stigimolic are all the same animal, which is a widely accepted at this point theory from the paleontologist Jack Horner from the early 2000s, where basically what they found in the Hell Creek Formation, which is where Pachycephalosaurus, Stigimolic, and Dracorex are all from, is they have found a lot of juvenile, which they can figure out through bone histology, what animals are like fully grown and which ones are not they found a lot of juvenile dracorex and no adult ones they found a lot of juvenile sticky mollocks and no adult ones and they found a lot of pachycephalosaurs but only adult ones and when you put these animals in a line you can see the it's just different growth stages of the same animal and so this is illustrating that here but the thing about it for me is that in universe Pachycephalosaurus was named in 1931, and the dinosaurs were found in the 40s. Pachycephalosaurus is from the Maastrichtian, which means that it's from the end of the Cretaceous. So it's presumably not one of the dinosaurs that's genetically engineered to recreate. This is a dinosaur that they found on the island. So at that point in society, you wouldn't call a juvenile 
Pachycephalosaurus, a Dracorex, or a Stimmy Mollet. Sign like paleontologists don't even do that anymore. Like there are some debate over whether Stiggy Moloch is actually indicative of a different species of Pachycephalosaurus. So the Pachycephalosaurus remains that we have are classified specifically as Pachycephalosaurus Wyoming Wyomingensis or Wyomingensis. I don't know how you would say that. Um, that's the only known species of the animal, and there's some to debate as to whether the Stiggy Moloch remains that we have found, because they're in a different area from a lot of the Pachycephalosaurus remains we found, actually indicates that it's a different species of the same genus, which means it would be Pachycephalosaurus something else, rather than Stiggy Moloch as being its own separate, like, if you see what I'm saying, it's the genus name and the species name. Normally with dinosaurs, with the amount that we're able to find out, you kind of just talk about the genus name. But they all have a species name as well. And then a lot of genuses do have a lot of species assigned to them, but a lot of them are also just like, yeah, this is the only one that we found. Anyway, the gist of it is, I think it is a little weird that an animal that was named only 15 years earlier than when we actually had a physical one in front of us still has names that are indicative of like decades of scientific when like you can just watch it grow like say from the 50s onwards you would have seen a baby pachycephalosaur grow to a full-grown pachycephalosaur so you would you would just know you know there's like a, a vast amount of evidence it just means that this isn't a concern but it's cool that we get the uh, skull diagram showing off the growth stages. Again, uh, I really love that about the series. I just think that like the in-universe aspects of it and the like, this is an idea that paleontologists have to explain this evidence aspects don't quite line up. It is interesting to think about the like multi-stage growth though, you know, just sort of relating it to present day and just, you know, creatures changing, like, the extreme example of, like, caterpillars into butterflies, that sort of thing. It's interesting to think about extinct creatures in that same way, in terms of just, like, also having the potential for a fluid lifespan. It's like hitting puberty, except instead of your voice getting deeper and you getting hairier, it's... You know, your your head just starts protruding and all of your horns go away and you just get a big old bony bald head. Eric Ichigaru, uh, in telling them all of this about Pachycephalosaurus, Stiggy Moloch, and Draco Rex, that whole like rant I just went on, but without the bits that are like, I don't understand how this works in universe where you could just see this happen in real time and are like working with, oh, we have like eight skulls. So let's figure out what this is. You know, he's able to, like, really engage them. And, like, it's clear that they're going to remember this information. And Sumo Suzume is, like, very impressed by it. It, it, They both have a very similar skill set. Like, they're both good at working with the guests of the park. And so now they're trying to go through all the information they have, all the notes that they've taken and everything that... Hachi has been doing to try and figure out why he's falling and uh, it's falling 
in at the same time in the same place repeatedly, causing repeated injuries to the same part of his body, which is like possibly going to cause worse health problems for him in the future. It's a nice sort of focus in on the effects of the like actual enclosures and like conditioning of the environment on dinosaur health. You know, it ends up being sort of them like trying to track down the pattern and realizing, oh, it usually happens when it rains. Well, what happens when it rains? And then like watching more from that and then realizing that it's like a structural architectural thing of like gutters getting clogged and the loud sounds from the rainfall caused by like just like the fucked up guttering work spooking him and waking him up and just sort of a lot of chapters in this series succeed and sort of just like taking a moment to focus in on a different little concern than they have thus far which is kind of what this one does in that aspect of you know we focus on the dinosaurs a lot but here is a little focus on what does the actual like zoo aspect of it do in sort of affecting their health yeah, it's really well thought through. I really like this section. Um, I like, we get glimpses of sort of the day-to-day working as well, shoveling. Um, I think it's a truly epic amount of dung at one point. They have loaders for that, <laughs> which makes sense given the sauropods in the park, which I'm dying for. It's the only thing I, I need nearly as much as I need my um, Cicadasaurus chapters. And we also, like, get to see Suzume on her first night shift in the park, which I especially like the way that the two-page spread of them uh, listening to the sounds of the park uh, at night is drawn. Um, there's a lot of heavy inking and cross-hatching, just making, like, the page sort of these dark abstract shapes with the sound effects sort of up above in the background. I feel like it really effectively captures the... Um, the feeling of being in like a place like that at night when it is empty aside from like you three people and a fuck ton of animals. It's also just a nice visual distinction from the majority of the series because this is not a particularly dark manga. You know, the majority of the physical pages are like whites and light grays so sort of reversing that for like the nighttime scenes and the way that the rain breaks up the darkness specifically where it's like the rain as the white on the page sort of illuminating the dark background is all also just aesthetically pleasing to look at yeah the art continues to be really good um, and in this case, I've got more to say about the art other than good manga art and also gorgeous dinosaurs. I'm like, the uh, the way the the night and the rain are illustrated is really strong. I also, we get a little glimpse into some of the paddocks of some of the animals we've met before in the series at night. Uh, so we get another Masaru sitting like a cat, which is just so cute. And I love the, the family of Troodon with their glowing eyes because... Um, 
from what they can figure out, dinosaurs would have had like the kind of eyes that have that shine when there's like a little bit of light heading into them. Um, just like but most animals that aren't humans, frankly. Yeah, it's a little cute spooky panel. I'm shocked that they haven't used that in a Jurassic Park film yet. There have been so many Jurassic Park films, and at no point have they had a scene in the dark where the first thing you just see is the light reflecting in the eyes. But oh well. I guess that's someone making a current Jurassic Park movie to be visually inventive. Just probably expecting too much. Uh, after they figure out like why um, the, the rain problem has been, and the gutter problem which has been causing Hatchy to get startled and wind up slipping and hurting himself in the night, and they fix it, uh, we have, we just sort of see him throughout the chapter watching her, but um, Shurinui Ren uh, indicates that he is starting to actually respect Suma Suzume because like he saw the work that she put in, they were pulling a lot of long hours and like working really hard to try and find a solution, which like she doesn't need his fucking approval, but I guess I'm there's going to be a slightly less hostile workplace in the future. And so now we head into the next part, which seems like it's going to focus on Spinosaurus, which is one of my top three dinosaurs. So the top three are Cicadosaurus, Spinosaurus, and Carnotaurus. I can never decide whether. Carnotaurus or Spinosaurus is number two. Uh, but Spinosaurus is... You may remember them... You may remember Spinosaurus from Jurassic Park 3. Uh, but since 2014, when we actually had a skeleton that didn't get blown up in World War II, we've known that it looks pretty different from the appearance of it in that film. So imagine a giant stalk with a crocodile's head a massive like spine for display on the back really short legs like when you look at him you would think for a second that it's actually a quadrupedal animal they weren't they were definitely like the arms were clearly not made for like supporting weight so like they were still bipedal but the arms are almost touching the ground because they're very long large arms the version that appears here is essentially based on the 2014 findings. Now, I need to try and figure out when these issues are published, because back in 2020, so in 2014, Niza Ibrahim's colleagues, they found a like pretty decent chunk of Spinosaurus, like nowhere near a complete specimen. Um, specifically, they were missing a lot of the tail. They were missing a lot of other bones. The area of Africa which they're from is really bad for preservation. But they, you know, when they found this, this was the first time we'd actually had like a remotely significant amount of this animal since World War Two, where the Allies were bombing uh, museums. Uh, there was a museum in Egypt that the only like found specimens that they'd found had been located. And so we found bits and pieces, but the first time they found like a decent chunk and they completely, you know, that led to this huge refault of the animal. And then in 2020, Ibrahim went back and they found more of the same specimen. And so they discovered that not only does it have the big sail on its back, but then there is a separate sail going the length of the tail. 
And there's a lot of debate right now, but isn't debate about whether or not it had the sale. Like the 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 findings in terms of this is pretty much what it looked like, uh, in terms of the skeleton are like no one's really disputing it at this point. There are questions about what the tail was used for, but ever since 2014, and especially since 2020, um, Ibrahim has been arguing that Spinosaurus is very clearly an animal well adapted to a, a more aquatic lifestyle than you normally see for dinosaurs. And reflecting that here, we are introduced to Iger, the Spinosaurus, swimming in a big old tank. I, uh, I really like this. Um, it looks like you'll get these a lot uh, for, like, tigers in zoos, uh, because tigers like swimming a lot. You'll see um, exhibits where you have the sort of underwater display where you can see into the bottom of a tank that is in the animal's enclosure that they can go swimming in. Uh, and I do not have his sort of tadpole-like flat, taller tail. He is portrayed here as greatly enjoying the water. But unfortunately, we only get small glimpses of him as most of the story is about a set of friends who really love going to uh, Enoshima Dino Land together. They both love dinosaurs. But one of them at one point gets like peer pressured into saying that dinosaurs are lame. And it throws their friendship into a little bit of a spiral for a while until, you know, they meet up and they figure it out. It's not bad, but it's probably my least favorite plot point or chapter in the volume. We had a similar one like this in volume two, I believe. And it's like, the series periodically taking the time to just sort of like focus on how patrons of the park go about their days and sort of taking a break from the like zookeeper perspective for a minute to sort of show how the animals are viewed by the public but they have yet to do a chapter in that vein that i think is as interesting as the main plot yeah i really love the instinct to do a story like this where it's about people who are visiting the park i'm really glad we are getting that perspective in the in the book but neither of the parts that we've had i think have managed to accompany it with like a plot that i find compelling aside from the bits where i'm like oh this is what it looks like when you're in the park yeah and Part of the difficulty, I'm sure, is just how difficult it essentially is to craft, like, interesting character narratives within the context of what's essentially a short story, you know, because they're using, yeah. like, one-and-done characters, you know, these are just random civilians who aren't gonna come back into focus again, so it's like... They have to introduce characters and whatever tensions or problems, you know, and then like settle that arc within the context of only roughly 20 to 30 pages, which is difficult. This one is a lot better than the first one, in my opinion. 
in that this one isn't like from the point of view of an angsty teenage boy who is just like, oh no, does go the whole way through. Like this is just two angsty teenage girls. Maybe maybe we just need to not have teenagers as the focus of one of these. But like there's a lot of really great Spinosaurus art. I think it's a shame that the like tail isn't correct, but I'm assuming that's a timing thing. That said, the little uh, essay at the end of this, because there's a little like page long essay at the end of all these parts. We haven't really talked about them much this episode, but we've discussed them in previous ones uh, by research consultant Shinichi Fujiwara. And this one talks about how when he's like sharing his perspective on like what should be done in Dinosaur Sanctuary and like the approach to take to them to Kinoshida when he's doing the like writing and drawing and the actual like making of the comic he does talk about like not one not like always reflecting the most recent theories that maybe are only supported by one paper haven't had a lot of peer review yet or like you know they've come out in a paper which is means it's been peer reviewed but it's not something people had the chance to respond to or look into further or like considering all the evidence so I am hoping that, like, it, there's no one who knows more about Spinosaurus than right now in the world than Nizar Ibrahim and, like, the people he's worked with on these papers because they've actually had the chance to have the bones in their hands. So I'm hoping that the lack of the tail is just due to the timing of the release, which I have no way of knowing because I the, the tail is pretty definitive. Like, it's the bones. And it is odd to me because all the presentation of Spinosaurus in this is very much in line with everything that Ibrahim's been saying anyway about it being a, you know, semi-aquatic animal living kind of like a polar bear. You know, polar bears spend almost all their time in the water for their hunting. And Spinosaurus was like that. But um, yeah, I'm hoping next time we see Iger, he's got his tail. Because that's the one problem with this in terms of the Spinosaurus depiction, but uh still a just really cool looking animal. Like dinosaurs already look fucking weird compared to anything that's alive today. Spinosaurus is a really weird fucking looking dinosaur. Unrelated side note, I continue to enjoy anytime we get an occasional little sound effect or ward balloon to one of the dinosaurs and just them making weird little grunts just going like peh oh yeah the sound effects we get for them are delightful like because i mean these animals didn't roar probably you know at least not most of them because birds don't roar you know birds and crocodiles don't make noises like that and when you Look at dinosaurs. The two closest living relatives of non-avian dinosaurs are avian dinosaurs, which are birds, and crocodiles, which are the only other surviving archosaurs, which is sort of the wider group that encompasses, you know, most things we think of as marine reptiles. Actually, are turtles archosaurs? Turtles might be archosaurs, but they're not as close as crocodiles to dinosaurs in that tree. I need to double check my phylogeny on that. But pterosaurs and most of like what we think of as marine reptiles that we will actually talk about a little bit later in this volume are also archosaurs. But uh, heading into the next chapter, we get 
they are uh, what we get stegosaurus another dinosaur that i really like and this is a really wonderful we have a great two-page spread showing the reconstruction that they've done for the series and it's pretty much perfect um so again this was in the 2010s they found a, a more complete stegosaurus than we'd ever found before and realized that it was this is actually kind of funny stegosaurus there's a whole clade of animals that if you were to look at them you would say oh that looks kind of like a stegosaurus and they're all called you know like you something like kentrosaurus or werosaurus stuff like that and they're called stegosaurs in the um i think it's a the clade i might be wrong because phenology isn't my strongest point um but the more of them they found the more like the way that they were constructing stegosaurus and the way that like the bones seemed to go together from what they had found over the years the more stegosaurus seemed like a really weird stegosaur if that makes any sense like the proportions were just very extreme um and the way that they held their body seemed very odd well they found an articulated specimen meaning they found one where the bones weren't in a jumble that had to be rebuilt they found one where oh yeah we've got like a good chunk of the bones and also it still looks like the animal like most of the time when you find dinosaur bones they are not really articulated anymore meaning you've got like a skull and a rib cage and a like random bit of the vertebrae sort of in a small pile rather than like what you think of like when it's articulated it looks like the Jurassic Park sign am i making sense i think so okay so we found like a pretty a really complete now it was a juvenile specimen but oddly enough stegosaurus looked a heck of a lot more like other stegosaurids that's the term stegosaurids than they had fought which at that point wasn't really a shock but it was cool getting the evidence and this looks about right i've seen that specimen it's it's on display in the london natural history museum so i saw that um it was a number of years ago now, unfortunately, but uh, back 2019? Yeah, back in 2019, I got to see it. I hadn't actually, finally, I hadn't realized uh, how important a specimen it was at the time. It wasn't until later that I was looking it up. I was like, oh, wait, that's the one that they found that made them go, oh, it looks different. I hadn't, I hadn't done enough research to see what was actually at the museum before I went. I just went. But uh, yeah, it's really great. Um you know, everyone knows Stegosaurus. It's the one with the big plates on the back. Yeah, it's down. one of the most famous ones, easily. Top three known dinosaurs. Uh, so the Stegosaurus's name is Momiji? Momiji? Not 100% sure. This is the big move where they're moving Daikichi, the uh, Centrosaurus, out of the pen um, so that he isn't around the couple anymore and won't be, like, irritable and there's less chance of a fight breaking out and they're moving momaji into that area uh, which also means that momaji will be around the other jurassic dinosaurs who all like share a pen which i think is a really like 
I'm sure part of it is like the space concerns of the zoo, but it's really interesting they have several species cohabiting in an area. I really like that as an idea. I don't know how much you see that in actual zoos, because I can't think of any that I've seen off the top of my head, to be honest. But it's certainly a thing you see a lot in a lot of dinosaur zoo building games, which I have played quite a few of. It's a very effective way of um, maximizing your space in Jurassic World Evolution 2. Yeah, it's another sort of how the park is run and structured aspect that we get a little look into here. And here towards the end, we also get our first mention of something that makes sense in world, but I had never thought about before. So I'll pose the question to you. If you were able to, would you eat dinosaur meat? Yes. Well, there you go. Yeah, like when it got to that scene, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know why I never thought of it, but I guess this is a plot point that could happen. Yeah, it's established that you can. Um, it's sort of implied to be a relatively like luxury item still. But there's apparently enough Sinonophomimus. There's enough Sinonophomimuses in the world that you're able to legally eat them. Which, I mean, first of all, dinosaurs are birds. Uh, Sinophomimus is, um, if you're a person who's seen Jurassic Park, imagine Gallimimus from Jurassic Park. They're the brown two-legged ones that run really fast that were running away from the T-Rex in that one scene, when Timmy goes, oh, they're flocking this way. Those things. But, like, with feathers, because all of them had feathers. Those are Ornithomimosaurs, is the name of that group. And beyond that, I can never fucking tell the difference between all the different Ornithomimosaurs. They look really similar to me. Um, They're all just sort of long-legged, feathery, beaked, omnivores so yeah dinosaur apparently it, it the mouthfeel is similar to chicken but not the taste and that makes sense uh again due to the fact that we we do know that like okay well they're closely related to existing birds and crocodiles they probably taste somewhere between like chicken and alligator i mean that's my assumption because it, it'll be similar proteins because they're similar kinds of animals like I don't know how you wind up with taste, but like, it it's it's probably just somewhere in in between in the middle of that. But yeah, the little bit of like story in terms of the zoo here is basically they're trying to get Momichi to um move into the uh the big crate that they're gonna use to move her into the new area, uh, and we have a little sciency bit where she um uses the sort of wide surface area of her plates to warm herself in the sun. It's interesting that the book decides to imply that, like, I don't think for a while they did think that maybe the plates were for firmer regulation, but, like, generally it's agreed upon now that they're probably just a display structure because dinosaurs were pretty much always evolving some kind of ridiculous ornamentation to attract mates. But um, here she's using the additional surface area of them to help, like, get warmer in the sun before she's comfortable moving around. 
which I it's there's nothing scientifically disproving it. It's perfectly fair. Uh, there was a long time back in the day when there was like a tendency to look at any sort of large structure like that on a dinosaur, and for scientists who want to believe that they're cold-blooded, slow, dumb animals who were like bad at evolving, are like, oh, that's so they could get warm enough that they could even like do anything, but. Like dinosaurs were endothermic, so they were warm blooded like us or like birds. They were not, at least not fully dependent on like outside energy in order to heat themselves. They had high metabolisms. It's the only way they could have, they were able to achieve such large body sizes in the first place. But, um, like I think this is still a, a, a nice segment. Like, this is still a behavior that they may have done. So it's 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 cool on especially like Stegosaurus that does have the big plates, but um yeah just making sure it's it's if you're no but this is still an endothermic animal, it it still has an internal body temperature that it maintains. This isn't like a a lizard laying out in the sun, because otherwise it'll freeze itself to death just by being in the shadow. It's a nice, sciencey touch. We also get a great panel of Momiji pooping out of her cloaca. My god. Which, I I mean, I, we've discussed this on other episodes, but the cloaca, which is uh, what dinosaurs had, just like birds do, cloaca's the everything hole. Uh, all the pee, all the poop, and all the sex, all one hole. It's very efficient. It's also very gross, but it's very efficient. Uh, and so the end of this part is us heading into a flashback. Uh, this is a big, like, shift for the series, because we have been, like, less so in this volume, although, like, she's still been... Whenever we aren't doing a guest part, we're typically focused on Suma Suzume's point of view. She's been a li little less the focus in this volume so far, I'd say, but, like, she's still the main character of the series. Uh, but now we go into a flashback from the point of view of Igarashi because we find out that he used to work at a place called Blue World and so we have for the final like chunk of story here which is apparently going to continue in into the next volume based on the teaser at the back we are seeing Igarashi's time uh, before he started working at Enoshima working at Blue World which is essentially a prehistoric aquarium uh, focusing on a lot of marine reptiles. And this place looks fucking impressive. Like, they have a lot more money than Enoshima has to be able to maintain something like this. Yeah, it is a lengthy flashback for a supporting character, sort of longer than we've gotten to shift away to other characters before this point. And... It's largely about how, like, the ethos of the parks are different and basically him getting reprimanded for being good at interacting with patrons and teaching them about the animals instead of just leaving them to look at the tanks and not learn anything. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, I'm a little bit like, what the fuck is wrong with Blue World? They don't even have labels on the tanks? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but yeah, it 
like volume two did open with the flashback from the point of view of Kaido, but like that was also important to like the history of the world because that was the incident that sort of made dinosaurs unpopular that we were seeing. And this is just something that's solely about Igarashi, which like again, I like that we're expanding the cast still, which also feels like good news for the longevity of the series. It's funny that he was clearly so, like, he worked a lot with marine reptiles, but now he's in charge of Stegosaurus and Pachycephalosaurus, when Inoshima does have a small section for marine reptiles. It is established that they don't have any ichthyosaurs anymore, but they still have a Futabasaurus, if I'm saying that right, which is um, a plesiosaur of some kind. I, I didn't look it up or do any research onto that one. But, um... Yeah, I essentially it's you know, we find out that at Blue World, the whole like idea is that they're just trying to create a vibe for people to come in and just like relax and escape reality in like this underwater show area. And it Igarashi winds up like teaching an old man about the differences between some of the different marine reptiles, specifically um, that Globidens, which is a Mosasaur that he's been observing, you know, how you could tell what they ate by the teeth and the shape of the teeth, which is, I mean, you know, that's fairly, like, basic sort of animal study is, yeah, the teeth tell you what it ate, but, like, it's still, it's a good little sequence. I love the way, again, that the all the different marine reptiles are drawn. Oddly enough, I'm a sucker for some really, really nice art. And he's officially reprimanded for doing this and has actually been warned about doing it before because apparently telling people about the animals is just not a thing the Blue World's interested in doing. And so that's the end of the volume. We will get more of this flashback next volume. So I guess next volume we're going to open with me having to be like, so we're sort of halfway through a flashback right now, everybody. <laughs> it's funny that they ended it here. I guess it's just a certain number of like chapters that just automatically get made into this rather than being divided up in a way that's like designed to work story-wise. Usually, yeah, like volume releases tend to in most cases hover around the same approximate page count. So unless it's like oh, it ended and it's not really possible to put whatever is left over in a comparable size. Usually volumes just collect more or less the same amount of chapters. Yeah. Regardless of where the story's at, it's sort of, I guess, different from American trades in that way. We're like, you know, trade publishing is still basically more or less guaranteed and you know is normal but it doesn't really dictate editorially the size of arcs to the same sort of frequency as say like brian michael bendis six issue floppies into paperbacks or whatever marvel approving all of their series for five issues and only five issues and now four issues they'll still call it an ongoing but it's only going to get four issues. Yeah. 
I do think all ongoing should continue until they see how well the first trade sells. Because, like, you got to give it a chance to find an audience. Anyway, so this struck me as strange just because, like, Volumes 1 and 2 sort of ended on a note that felt like, okay, yeah, this is logically where you would end a volume. Like, Volume 1 ended with Kaidu, like, starting to tell Suma Suzume, like, about his past and, like, the incident he was involved with that we then opened Volume 2 with. And then Volume 2 ends with the sort of new ongoing premise where Sumo Suzume is going to be moving between the different departments instead of just working with Karen and Kaidu. But, uh, yeah. And then as with the previous volumes, we do get a tiny little bit of bonus material. We get a little flashback to um, back when uh, Hachi, the Pachycephalosaurus, or Hachibe, and... Daisy was still together, so back when before Daisy again presumably died, I think they specify they I think they specify that. Oh, it's just a cute bit of like the dinosaurs getting like cleaned and groomed. Oh yeah, they mentioned Daisy's test results here, so I guess Daisy died from like some kind of chronic disease. That's sad, yeah. but uh, you know a lot of cute pachycephalosaur art in this little bit. I I always like getting more dinosaur drawings. My favorite dinosaur in this volume is Hachi, the poor yeah. widowed dinosaur. I have to agree. I wish we got to see more of Iga. Iga. I'm not sure which one I want to go with for the Spinosaur. Because obviously, as I said, top three species. But I he just didn't get the focus in his story that like Hachibe got. So maybe next time. Fingers crossed. I hope we come back. I'm assuming the Spinosaurus is under, like, Kaidu's management, so, you know, but Kaidu's a major character. We'll probably get back to Theropods in a bit, and we can actually have, like, a proper chunk of Spinosaurus, but um, I'm excited to see, like, what other departments Suzume winds up working for. I I do need a Cicatosaurus, and I need the um, Camarasaurus, like, to get chunks, because while there's um, Camarasaurus and Platysaurus, it's a sauropod and a uh it's there's a debate as to what a pro sauropod is like a term that you should use but basically like sauropods are the big ones with long necks and pro sauropods are the ones that in generally speaking wind up like evolving into the ones with the big long necks but are just sort of like halfway there i'm assuming someone is running just them i could pull out volume two and like look at the page again where we got introduced to all the different department heads but um i'm not gonna worry about that right now but I'm hoping we get some sauropods soon. Had you already, for your own interest, done the conversions on how much the price of tickets to Inoshima Dino Land would be in USD? I had not. Oh, okay, you did? I'm I'm all right, I wanna know. So assuming general admission, the college age and up, and assuming that the just simple Google into USD converter is relatively accurate at this moment. A single admission ticket would cost you about $13.60, and an annual pass would cost you about $54.40. So oh, you what could I'm get... fucking doing that? Oh, yeah. 
for less than the cost of a movie ticket, you could go into Inoshima for a day. Uh, they need to be charging more. They have a lot of animals. They have some really impressive ones. I'm sorry. They have Spinosaurus, Giganotosaurus, and Tyrannosaurus. They're charging less than we paid to go to the theme park. Uh, yeah, between those three, Triceratops, Stegosaurus, Camarasaurus, Centrosaurus, Dinochirus, and, and Montosaurus are all fucking huge animals. Like, they're all bigger than anything you would find in a zoo like today. Like, Centrosaurus is the size of a rhino, and then everything else I named is larger than that. While I love what? the theory of the educational place being dirt cheap, it is also crazy cheap. That is crazy cheap. Damn. Yeah, no wonder they're uh, struggling money-wise. They should just raise the ticket prices a bit. Did you have any remaining notes? Just that we have one page where we find out everybody's favorite length for, like, waiting to eat their instant cup noodles, which is the oddest bit of, like, extra stuff that we've gotten. But it's cute that we've got it. A lot of manga volumes love to do things like this, like volume release bonus material pages that just give each character's little quirky response to whatever random preference. And so I've loved the bonus material that we've gotten because like most of the time though it's been like here's some bonus material about the dinosaurs and then this one is just like instant cup noodles. But yeah. Yeah, I mean I think the series continues to be really delightful. You know, excited for more. I clearly have a very long wish list of things I want to see. I was pleased uh, to go to your house and see these on the bookshelf and just see the evidence of my success of the beginning of your manga collection. The full extent of my manga collection, unless they do something else like this. I guess I should see if there's any other dinosaur manga that are, like, devoted to being reasonably scientifically accurate. Which, like, also, I get really particular with this series sometimes solely because I'm a big fucking nerd and, like, sometimes I just feel like getting really particular. But honestly, it's incredibly impressive the lengths that the series has gone to be, like, really scientifically accurate. Like, the the only major dinosaur media coming out right now is the god-awful Jurassic World movies which just, like, consistently get really basic things wrong and are, like, clearly being pushed in just the dumbest fucking directions by studio heads. Like, their version of Sinoceratops, uh, which is an animal that's a lot like Centrosaurus that we saw in this volume with the big frill, they had a holes in the design of the frill so that you could see through, like, a hole in the frill. Now, there is a hole in the bone, but it's not, like, by any biological means that any animal on Earth, or any animal that we have evidence of in the past, is it possible for skin to develop a hole like that? Where there is just a hollow bit in the animal that you could, like, put your arm through? Like, not without injuries? Do you get something like that? Like, I guess someone gave Sinoceratops hoop earrings or something like it's bizarre and then you know we've got um prehistoric planet on apple tv plus which is a great documentary 
and we've got uh, Life on Our Planet that's coming out pretty soon on Netflix, which also looks like it's going to be quite good. But like in terms of narrative stories about people and dinosaurs, it's just the Jurassic World movies and like this book series that's really coming out right now. And this is so good. You know, I, I had some stuff to say in this volume, especially about like, just like, the fact that I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh, well, this must have been like written and drawn before 2020, because I can tell because of how accurate the Spinosaurus is to the skeletal reconstruction we had before we found more material in 2020. That's really great. Yeah. In terms of any other dinosaur comics I can think of. Not even current ones, because I can't even think of any current ones, but even just older ones, I can't think of any that are this devoted or even really relatively interested in any sort of educational bent or realism like this. They're all just like kids' comedy cartoons, basically. Yeah, I mean, I don't need them. Like, I like the educational bent in this, but I don't even need a series to have that. I'm always just like, just show something that's reasonably accurate, where like I can tell that you've looked at the the actual stuff, and you have some idea what you're talking about. Like, there's a lot of things in the original Jurassic Park movie that, to be science at the time, wasn't quite accurate or was just like them making some stuff up for the movie, but it was like the vibes were all right when that came out. And they emphasize the dinosaurs as animals in that movie. And, you know, since then, certainly in the Jurassic World franchise, it's they don't have that level of care. And a lot of that is because, like, VFX workers and so on are now in a situation where they're being abused by these companies. So, like, it's not their fault, but it's like a, a studio head down approach of just, like, half-assing it. And so it's really nice seeing something like this that is trying really hard to make something that is that feels like these animals would have actually felt that looks and feels correct. And I mean, a lot of this also is like very small details are correct. We have on the back of this volume a color image uh, of the Sotakasaurus from inside this volume from the little bits we get to see them. And guess what? Those are the right colors. This is the color we know this animal was. And they look great. I love it. But uh, yeah. Please go out and buy the first three volumes of Dinosaur Sanctuary. Keep keep this series going. Ask people to make an anime. I want an anime. I want some poor fucking animator to have to try and figure out how to make these dinosaurs, these really detailed dinosaur drawings, and figure out how to animate them so that they look good consistently. Because that's going to be really difficult. Yeah. But I want to see it. I mean, they'll probably just do 3D models. That's what I'd do. I feel like that's the best way of doing it. 3D models, put the texture onto them of like some of the illustrated scales and stuff. And that way you get the like level of detail. But like the book does in terms of showing the um, the the texture of the skin and stuff like that. But yes, yes, please. I think that's everything. I've done, I've done my big rant telling people to buy this book. I mean, I've gotten, I've actually gotten people to buy the book, so, you know, success on my end. With that said, next Monday is the first Monday of October, aka Spooktober. 
meaning a month full of horror and paranormal comics. And we will be kicking off with The Summer Hikaru Died, Volume 1. So look forward to it. Nice. Two manga in a row. Three. Even. Banana Fish. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah, it is three. Wow. I didn't... How did I not even... Yeah, that was just last week. <laughs> but yeah, there's... There's the homework. It's everywhere. It just came out like three months ago or some shit so super easily imprint thank you all for listening and bye bye everyone be excellent to each other